Cause the high schools, if it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. All right, hour two of the Full Court Press. 5.01, your kickoff time. Thanks for joining us, however and wherever you are doing so. If you're just jumping into the show, coming in your car after work, uh, thanks for joining us and being a part of our evening. Uh, Talked to Travis Cox. I got stuck in a meeting, so he's not going to be able to join us tonight. We will have him at the top of the hour, 4 o'clock tomorrow, here on the station with Eric Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, we are hoping that they'll be able to find an opponent. I know it's going to be hard to do. Eric, like you were just saying, you brought up a great point. There's got to be a cutoff line where you say, we don't have time to prep for these guys. Well, yeah, to be clear, earlier in the day when we spoke to him, it sounded like it wasn't going to happen, that Bridgeline was just going to have to take a, a bye, basically. But when you talk to him, it sounded like they're still searching for opponents, so they're still trying to make something happen. Yep, hoping so, to. That's not confirmed either way. Kudos for them for still turning over every rock. But at some point, you'd have to think there's got to be a point of no return when you, you don't have enough time. Either school would have enough time to figure out transportation and game planning and things like that. So hopefully tomorrow when we get them on, that we'll have a little bit more clarification. Starting off the second hour with us, also with us is Ethan Durstow of the uh, NFL. Ethan, thanks for your time. Greatly appreciate you today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been fun. Uh, we talked a little bit of NFL. Actually, we talked a lot of NFL. Hey, by the way, did you see that sexy video of Tom Brady making a sweet pass to Mike Evans on the Tampa Bay? Sorry, you lost me when you said sexy and Tom Brady. I just... I know you're jealous, but <laughs> that's just what happens to guys like you and I. Uh, dude, that Buccaneers team is going to be freaking good. They're going to be really good. In fact, I would have them in the NFC Championship alone. What Tom Brady... LeBron James has done for teams when he goes to them... Cleveland, Miami, all of a sudden they're in NBA championships. Tom Brady's going to turn that Buccaneers franchise in one year. In one season, they're going to be a playoff team, and I think they're going to be an NFC championship team. Uh, I love Tom Brady more than anyone. I don't know if I'd That's go as far as that. I Why? Don't know. How? Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, O.J. Howard, they got a defense that's really good and aggressive. Yeah, but you I mean you have the NFC, you have the Saints, you have the—I mean that's just a tough division. That's so you true. Have the Saints, you have the Falcons, you have the Eagles who are coming back and actually have a lot oh, of talent. Don't I mean, it's just—it's just—I uh, mean, in that there's a bad team last year. So I got well. I think Brady's definitely going to contribute to a huge turnaround. It's—it's it's tough for me to say like, oh, automatically they're going to be in the net in the NFC Championship. I'm just not not going to go quite that far, but I do think they're going to be good. Look, I'm just as big of a Taysom Hill fan as you are, and I understand <laughs> the impact he has on the Saints, and he's going to be. Again, Taysom Hill will help lead the Saints to another he great season. He might not even be the backup quarterback. Nothing like a 30-year-old third string quarterback. Are you serious? Nothing like a 30-year-old third string quarterback. He's going to be a backup with Jameis Winston. Oh, Jameis Winston has no It's no. a battle right now. Oh, it, who's going to be the backup? It's not a battle. And Taysom Taysom Hill's they're just trying to create storylines, Taysom Hill's a great you know, $12 million a year special teams guy. It'll be great. He does a lot more than special teams, and if you don't agree with me, you're not watching football. I, what did he catch, like three passes last year, through four he's or five? He's blocked kicks. He's been a quarterback. He's been a wildcat receiver. He's done so many things. Again, he has a major impact on why the Saints go to the playoffs. But no. when you have Tom Brady, you can do anything. And Tom Brady's going to take the Bucks to the NFC Championship. Oh, guys, what if? 
What if Tampa Bay just had Taysom Hill? Super Bowl. Oh, Super Bowl. Nothing could stop. And that special teams unit would be and, unstoppable. And Kyle Van Noy on the defense. Oh, yeah. Nothing no, could so stand So not in only are we going to the NFC Championship, but you're going to the Super Bowl, and you're probably going to be... I mean, you'll Everyone probably have lost would lay one down. game. Well, if you have Kyle Van Noy on your team, you can't guard running backs out of the backfield. So they would roll out Kyle Van Noy can guard a running back out of the backfield. No, he what can't. are you talking? Yes, no, he can. can. Watch some film, Ajay. Offensive linemen would tr- from okay, opposing just teams would turn in Wagner, their equipment for large trumpets. Just because Bobby Wagner gets covered up by a great defense around him and he looks good because of that. Doesn't mean you have to jump on that wagon. I see Bobby Kyle Wagner, Van- the, de- the Seahawks defense has been trashed the last three years, and Bobby's still been the best linebacker in the NFL. Okay, well, here's that's not really saying a whole lot then. If the defense is trashed and Bobby Wagner comes out with the best player of that. I mean, they go to the playoffs every year. Yeah, they they go deep in the playoffs. Uh, Deep? Deep? I mean, they were when Richard Sherman and Earl Chancellor. They've and, exceeded uh, expectations the last Earl, two or three years. Earl Chancellor's not a person. Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. No, I, I think that uh, it's unfair to even mention Kyle Van Noy and Bobby Wagner in the same sentence, but that's just a, that's a fact-based opinion. But look, the NFC is going to be stacked. I mean, it yes, will. I think Tampa Bay is going to be good. I don't think there's any question about that. I think it's going to be exciting to see what happens to that town, to that franchise. But I think Green Bay is – I mean, Aaron Rodgers is on his last opportunity to, to firm up his legacy – can he get to the NFC Championship and and win? He doesn't have a lot of success there. Um, but then you look at New Orleans, same thing with uh, Breeze. He's on his last leg. And so is he going to be able to get that franchise to the promised land? They've been so yeah. close so many different times. But uh, I think you're right, too. Philadelphia is going to be good. A lot of questions in Dallas. Are they going to finally figure their stuff out? So I think there's a lot of interesting, good storylines in the NFC specifically, yeah. especially with the different timeline and the different changes. I mean, yeah. you brought up the Atlanta Falcons. I didn't even think about Atlanta, but that's a team that could really you know benefit. Nobody does after they gave up a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. No, but that's a team that could really benefit from the, the current Shortened situation. Season. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I think I think the NFC is, like I said, it's it's stacked. I love the Bucks. I think they're going to be really good, but just, you know, the gauntlet that is the NFC, I, I just think... It's kind of it would be on my part it'd be hyperbolic to say oh they're going to go to the NFC Championship just because they have Tom Brady. That's a great division. They're in a great division and that's a great conference and it's going to be it's going to be tough for anyone to get there. Uh Piranus tweets in. <laughs> I love Piranus. Best friend. Please AJ don't go there again. Let your YBU love go. <laughs> it's it's just for Taysom Hill. It isn't for YBU, I promise. <laughs> we I all just, love 30-year-old third-string quarterbacks. <laughs> They're a good story. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, let's go ahead and turn to some NBA news. What a day in the NBA it was. Orlando Magic. And I lost and I took away the audio. God gone it. Orlando Magic uh, were supposed to be four games in, four games out, going home. And uh, a short trip home, obviously, to their uh, houses and getting ready for a nice little vacation. I think after uh, facing the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, yeah, I missed. I should have saved it. Uh, there was they had one of the lowest chances of winning the first round game against the Bucks, and they, not only do they win, they win with double digits. They win going away. Yeah, what a buck kicking this was. Uh, finals, they dominated the whole game. Yeah, one twenty two, one ten. In fact, Orlando was not threatened uh, after midway through the third quarter. 
Milwaukee had cut the deficit down to one. Orlando opened it up again to 13, and it never got back to within seven the rest of the way. Orlando, again, 122-110 winners over the Milwaukee Bucks. Eight seed over a one seed. Who would have thought? You know, the biggest thing to this, guys, and, and Ethan, you can maybe talk about this a little bit concerning the NFL, home court advantage in the NBA playoffs is a bigger deal than we think it is. And there is no home court advantage now. Now it's like an open field scrimmage. I mean, you're you're in a you're in an arena with no fans, virtual fans, if you want to even call that an impact, and you're playing just against five other guys. There's no pressure about going to Milwaukee and facing their hostile environment. You're in your own state playing the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's just a scrimmage, and that's what it turned into. 122, 110 winners, eight seed over a one seed. That's just it's amazing. Is this gonna be a consistent theme, Eric? throughout the course of the playoffs where it's just a one-hit wonder? Uh, I think it could be... It could bring up uh, and, and be become a little bit more prominent because especially when you get into the playoffs, you have some teams like the Jazz that have a great home court. There's great fans. They're always raucous. They're loud. And they really help lift the team. But you have other teams that their home crowd, they're just kind of there casually. They don't really get up. Uh, they're not getting excited. And so it doesn't really matter for those teams. Like the Houston Rockets, I don't think they have a really great home crowd. So I don't think it really matters for the Rockets if they are they have a home court or not. Um, when you look at you know, the impact of the crowd, per se. Um, I don't think the Lakers really have a, a really an important crowd. They're there to be seen, not to cheer and be excited. And so I think that uh, like the Lakers and to some degree the Clippers, it's it's different for them. But for those smaller franchises like the Pacers, for the Thunder, for the Jazz, I think those home crowds really mean a lot. That home court means a lot for those teams. So not having them could play really an interesting part in how these playoffs continue. Nikola Vucevic, whatever your name is, congratulations. Vuce. <laughs> Scored a career playoff high, 35 points. He had 14 boards. Uh, Terrence Ross, 18. Gary Clark, 15. DJ Augustine had 11 uh, points with 11 assists. Uh, these guys were 14-point underdogs, by the way. 14-point underdogs. And uh, they beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis finishes with 31 points, 17 boards, 7 assists from Milwaukee. and But he was held without a field goal, without a field goal over the final 11 minutes. That's not going to win you a lot of games when your best player can't score. I think people discounted just how good uh, Nikola Vucevic is at, at defense, and and not just defense, but how well he stacks up against Giannis. I mean, Giannis obviously is, is really difficult to stop, but Vucevic can mitigate a lot of the damage that Giannis does. So while I don't think that the Magic are going to win the series, I mean, they, they have a great counter to Giannis's, you know game type and, and ability in, in Nikola Vucevic. Milwaukee swept the season series, by the way, against Orlando. They won all four games by an average of 17 points. What was the difference today, though, for this game was that Magic got physical defensive. They started pushing around Giannis. The refs weren't calling much. They started getting physical with George Hill and the guards. Bledsoe was getting frustrated. The refs weren't calling anything. If they let this kind of game be played through the next through the rest of the series, Milwaukee's going to be in a lot of trouble here because Orlando likes to play physical with you. And if they can get away with that physicality, Watch out. This Orlando team was uh, scoring a lot of points near the, the the end of the regular season before the, the break, and then they were scoring a lot of points in the restart. So this is an Orlando team that can put up a ton of points if you let them. 
But you also hit on a, a key point there that they like to clog things up in the middle and they can play physical with you. So I think a lot of us have overlooked Orlando and uh, certainly looks like Milwaukee did as well. Uh, I think that Milwaukee will make their adjustments. I still think they'll take care of the magic, but they could be providing a blueprint for other teams in the Eastern Conference with how to deal with the Bucks. Uh, George Hill in 27 minutes had 16 points. He was the only double-figure scorer that came off the bench. Uh, all let's see, four of the five scoring double-figure starters for the Bucks and for the Magic. Again, they were led by uh, Nicola with 35 points, and four of their five starters came away with double digits as well. Not a lot of bench production from the Magic, but enough offensive and defensive production from the starters. Again, 122-110, a stunner in Orlando where the Magic beat the Bucks as an 8-seed versus a 1-seed. Really quickly, just turn to the NFL side of it, if I could, Ethan. If they don't have fans, like at Green Bay, full-capacity fans or Philadelphia or Washington, does that affect how a team will perform at home, especially in the playoffs? Will it be such thing as a home-field advantage? Uh, I mean, probably in like Denver, right? Because you have that high altitude. Sure. Um, and maybe some of the teams that are actually allowing fans, like I think you saw that, you know, the Chiefs are playing in front of like 22% capacity. Is so that they, enough to do any kind of impact? I, probably if you're used to playing in empty stadiums, I'm sure they realize like, oh, there's some sound. But I mean, I think it makes, I think you'll see a lot of really high scoring games because defensive players rely on the crowds a lot more than offensive players do, right? When you're a defensive lineman, and the crowd's just going crazy, and it's third down and seven, and you know that if you get that stop, the offense is going off the field. You know, that really pumps you up. Whereas just like when the quarterbacks hear noise, they're just like, that's annoying. I can't make the snap count. So I think that it will, I think it will diminish a lot of uh, you know, high-level defensive play and inspired defensive play and, and make playing defense a lot harder. So yeah, I think, I think you'll see teams that maybe, and this is just my prediction, Teams that have relied on their defenses maybe not be as good as they have been in the past because those defenses rely so much on on fans screaming and yelling, getting them hyped, making it hard for the quarterback to make the call. So, yeah, I think it'll make a big difference. I think it'll be really interesting to see just how big of a difference that is. We're seeing some announcements by schools in the SEC and the Big 12 that they're uh, expecting like 22 to 25% yeah. for their home games. So it's kind of probably similar to what the NFL might do. Well, I guess it's team by team decision based it's on what's going on their state. local it's health departments. And exactly. Like that. Yeah. So you you at least in the NFL, and I think in in college, you know, in the NFL, we first you work with the governor, and then the team works with like the local uh, government, right? So the governor sets a certain you know threshold that he feels comfortable with, and then the local health department sets you know works really closely with the team to say, oh, you know. The governor said you could have, you know, 50%, but we really don't want you to go for 25. So then they settle at 22. So, yeah, it just kind of depends on the state. So, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the more Republican-leading states will probably have, you know, a higher percentage of fans in the stands than Democratic states. And maybe that tilts, you know, to some level the the competitive equity of, of, the, of, the, of the games that are going on. But it's an imperfect environment, so you're going to have kind of imperfect, you know, circumstances. Miami Heat beat the Indiana Pacers today, 113-101. They lead, now lead the series one game to nothing. Bam Bam, Eric, you talked about Bam Bam yesterday, and he turned out to be very good today. Uh, in 35 minutes, 7-14 from the field. He didn't shoot a three, didn't need to. He was 3-4 from the charity stripe, 10 boards, 17 points. Eric, he was a plus 23. He joins a pretty elite company in Miami's storied you know, history of great players that have gone through that program. Very few players have done what he did today with uh, 15 or more points, 10 or more rebounds, 5 or more assists. 
Uh, there's only like three or four guys that have ever done that Ooh. for Miami. Oof. So Bam Adebayo, great player, um, great impact player. Uh, Jeremy, uh, Jimmy Butler had a big game today as well. And uh, Goran Dragic, man, he's yeah, how about that? he's had some games where he plays really, really good. And then yeah. his games where it's like, does he even belong yeah, in an NBA uniform? <laughs> but uh, he came up big for them today. Here's a question for you guys. If in a hypothetical world you could have Rudy Gobert on a Supermax contract or Bam Adebayo at four years, $100 million, Donovan somehow convinces him to come here as a free agent, which would you take? I'd take Bam Bam in a heartbeat. I would probably take Bam Adebayo. As painful as that is. I love Rudy. Yeah, it's painful to say. I would take Bam Bam in a a heartbeat. I mean, Rudy's offensive skill set has improved a lot. But it's not Bam. But it's not to the same level. That's what worries me about a guy who's, you know, the the, the possibility of giving a Supermax contract to a defensive first player is um, how can they help you on the offensive end? You need, this is a league that you need scorers out there. Uh, Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic combined for 52 points. They combined for nine assists, nine boards. <laughs> and Jimmy Butler, again, like you said, was good. He was 10 to 12 at the line. He was 8 to 15 from the field. He was 2 to 2 from the arc. Goran Dragic was 4 to 9 from the arc. He was 9 to 19 from the field. Perfect from the stripe with only two free throws. Uh, he was a plus 20. Dragic was. Butler was a plus 13. In fact, everybody finished even or plus. Category for the Heat starters. Just a great game by them overall. Victor Aladipo suffered an eye injury. He did not return to the game. He only played nine minutes, 0-2 from the field. Only had four points, so he relied on Brogdon and Warren, who combined for 44 points, 22 apiece. Uh, Warren also had eight boards, three six, or excuse me, three assists and four steals. So not a good, not a bad day for him. Brogdon had 10 assists with the, along with the 22 points. So Pacers. I mean, if the thing is, is that. There's so much ammo on the Heat bench that I don't think that this Pacers team can keep up with the Miami Heat, which is weird to say, but I just, even Jimmy Butler, and if Drogic can continue that through the rest of the series, this thing's over in four to five games. Um, maybe. I, I, think, I think you're right. I think Miami does have a little more depth than Indiana does. And if Oladipo's not going to be able to contribute a lot, then that's really going to hurt Indiana's chances. Um, I think this could be if Oladipo is just—it's a minor, just a poke in the eye, and he'll be fine for game two. Uh, I'm really interested to see how he bounces back. I really like some of the young talent on Indiana, but I do think that Miami is maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit more experienced, and just a little bit deeper. The, the experience yeah. you bring up is a really big point. Actually, that's a good point. To think about that. Uh, right now, James Harden is sick and tired of hearing how good this OKC team is going to be. They lead the Rockets to 37-20 with about nine and a half remaining in the first half. Oh, they've blown that open. That Absolutely. was a lot closer earlier. Daniel Gallinari has six for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Steven Adams, think about this for a moment. Steven Adams leads the Thunder with seven points. He also has six boards along with that and assists to, to complete his stat line so far. P.J. Tucker for the Rockets has three. Gordon has four. Harden leads him with eight. Green was seven. McLemore was six. And Austin Rivers with four. So very even scoring for the Houston Rockets so far. Again, they lead by 17 hmm. over the Thunder, 37-20. Do you remember Jeff Green? I do. Remember when he was just on, a, on the Jazz and didn't try at all? <laughs> and suddenly he's like found a new groove in Houston? How much of that is the system and how much of it is just the guys you're playing with? Because you're right, Jeff Green showed little to no effort at about 99% of the time he's on the court, so much that Quinn was like, you know what, screw it, I ain't going to play you. 
Well, there was a time when they played him at the center. Yeah. yeah. Rudy was hurt and couldn't do anything. and That didn't go well. So they were looking for a, any kind of a backup solution because Ed Davis was also hurt for a little bit there. Tony Bradley was nowhere ready to be stepping onto an NBA court. And Jeff Green was the de facto center for the Jazz. Now it was <laughs> out of place for him. But there were a lot of expectations that here's the guys that could come in to help the Jazz with some outside shooting. And it just never really was that. It just never... This wasn't a great fit. It didn't feel. He also just yeah. didn't try, which is frustrating. But, hey, Ethan, we never did get a chance to ask you this. We, Eric and I talked about it yesterday. I want to get your predictions as well on these first round matchups and what your second round is going to look like. Uh, let's start with the eight one matchup in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee Orlando. Who do you got? Milwaukee. Is I mean, it? I had him four zero. Now I guess four <laughs> one. If it goes any deeper, if if Orlando, if hypothetically. Orlando wins game two. Does your mind change at all about it? No, I think Milwaukee. Unless they go up 3-0, I think Milwaukee wins the series. Uh, all right, let's go Lakers. Portland in the Western Conference, 8-1 matchup. Who do you got? I, I have the Lakers. I love the Blazers. I wish that they uh, had a little bit more firepower because I would like to see them beat the Lakers just because I'm anti-Laker. I grew up in Utah. Um, but <laughs> I think that, you know, CJ's hurt, uh, and, and I think Dame would have to have a week next week even better than he did this past week in order to for them to beat the Lakers. So I, I think the Lakers win. Uh I think that maybe if the if the if if the Blazers had one more wing and CJ was healthy that they could pull it off, but I, I'm gonna go with the Lakers. So yeah both ones coming out of both conferences. Toronto and Brooklyn. Uh Toronto was running away with game one. Brooklyn made it closer than it really needed to be, but Toronto does win. So two versus seven in the Eastern Conference you have Toronto. And I have Toronto winning the Eastern Conference. Well, that settles that. Uh, I, I think uh, that's hard to argue against. I mean, this is a team that's exceeding expectations. We talked about this yesterday, mm-hmm. just how that's a really exciting team that's caught a lot of people by surprise. They play hard. Yeah, uh, They've got a lot of talent spread out at a lot of different positions. So Toronto's going to be interesting. Though that is one of those teams that they really feed off of their home crowd. Sure. They've got a great home crowd and home court advantage. Uh, will they be able to still be that have that level of energy and success without having the uh, We the North going on. The Canadians. <laughs> yes. 2-7 uh, matchup on the Western Conference is Clippers versus Dallas. Clippers get game one. Does this end up being a sweep? Uh, I don't know if it's a sweep. I'm sure Luka will score like 50 points one game and maybe they'll sneak one by, but I think that they, the Clippers win it pretty quick. So, Should yeah. Porzingis have been ejected? No. That was a horrible call. That, that, is, that is sad. But again, we've had really crappy officiating throughout the whole entire playoff here in the bubble because, I don't know, it's the bubble and the refs seem like nobody, you know, they can't get punished for crappy officiating. So, uh, By the way, Rajon Rondo is going to be out. He will be inactive for the Lakers tonight. I think that that makes a big difference because I, I, I do think that if the uh, Trailblazers are to sneak some games away from the Lakers, it's going to be because the Lakers don't have anybody to guard uh, the the Blazers uh, guards right, so you have CJ and Dame, uh, and the and the and the Lakers are missing Rondo and uh, Avery Bradley, who didn't come to the bubble, so they don't really have anybody to defend those two guys. I think if Dame were to score, you know, an, again do 45, 55, 61 points, then that would you know LeBron and AD are going to have to counter pretty heavily to 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 get the Lakers a win. Uh, in the three six matchup in the Eastern Conference, Boston versus Philadelphia. Boston wins last night in a battle, but then also loses Gordon Hayward 
who is out now for four weeks. The West Eastern Conference Finals start in three and a half weeks. Ethan? Uh, this is the hardest matchup for me because the Sixers should win because they're more talented, but they're also just really bad, it seems like. So I, I, I'm going to go with the the uh, the um, the Celtics just because, uh, the, you know, the coaching, they seem to gel well. They're playing pretty good. Uh and I refuse. I mean, I'm really sad that Gordon's hurt again, but I refuse to admit that he's good at basketball anymore. <laughs> <laughs> a three-six matchup: Denver versus Utah. Denver gets Game One. Mike Conley's hopefully returned Game Three. More on that later in the show. Uh, Ethan, who do you got? I'm a homer, Jazz baby. Me too. I'm still sticking with the Jazz. I, I honestly am, and I'm being sincere about that. Four-five. It'll be Denver. How many games do you think it goes? Six, oh, he's, six oh, games. He's he's thinking five. He just said six to be nice. Well, Jazz don't have Boyan. They haven't really Mike Conley found an back answer for that. On Friday, They're, they'll miss two games without Mike Connolly. Two. That's yeah. it. And you know what? Without Conley, they were this close from stealing game one. This close. I think it'll be really tough. I hope that they win. And that's uh, how it's been every game this year with Denver. They're always, oh, we're just this this no, close. It, no, it, it, Denver finds ways to, to win. They're, and there was really and Scott Foster. Me, I love the Jazz. No, and Scott Foster was refing that game. I blame him as well. Um, Miami Indiana four five matchup in the Eastern Conference. Miami. Okay, and four five matchup Oklahoma City and Houston. Uh, I really really want Oklahoma City to win. So you have one upset, and that's Utah beating Denver. Yeah. Well, no, Oklahoma City beating Houston would be an upset, wouldn't it? Well, technically they're tied. Yeah, just... They were tied at the four five spot. They were both had the same record, forty three and twenty nine. But who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna get to some more jazz news. Mike Conley is hope to uh he has returned to the bubble in Florida. They're hoping to have him back for game three. Will that make a difference? And then Utah Jazz lose a high assistant coach after the season. How does that affect a certain player? When he becomes a free agent. It's all coming up on the Full Court Press, 106.9 The Fan. It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and A.J. Selvason. 135-125 is your final score in overtime. Does Mike Conley flip that score? And does Jazz win with him on the court today? Mike Conley would have helped. He was playing some of his best basketball all year in the bubble. Having another scoring option, different players. You don't have to change up your rotations for your starters and how it affects your bench. I think it would have helped absolutely to have Mike Connolly in the game today. Weekdays from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and LJ South of the Full Court Press, 5.30 your time here on a Tuesday evening. Thank you for joining us, however and wherever you're doing so. Ethan had to escape. He's got things he's got to get to. We appreciate him for uh, joining us uh, every week as he does. He does a wonderful job, and we um, thank him so much for all his great work. Uh, Eric, uh, we talked a little bit about Mike Conley, as you heard on our uh, little spot there yesterday, wondering when he would come back to the bubble. He has arrived in Disney. Yeah, the reports are that he is back on uh, on the campus, though he is in isolation, and he'll have to be in isolation for a couple more days. But the the timing of his return would make him available for the Utah Jazz when they face Denver Nuggets for Game Three. So, Andre, when is Game Three? 
Game three would be Friday at 2 p.m. Mountain time. So, uh, Jazz just have to try to hold on for another game yeah. and see what they can do without his services. Uh, the Denver Nuggets today, by the way, they announced they're going to be missing some players uh, for game two as well. Their injury report, um, they were not available for game one, but uh, now suddenly when I want it, I can't find it. But um, Will Barton, I believe, is sitting Barton, out. Uh, Gary Harris and Will Barton are going to be out. Does Mike Conley make the difference in this series? I think is the biggest question for a lot of people in Jazzland because they feel like if Mike Conley's there yesterday, Donovan Mitchell doesn't have to put so much pressure on him because you have a main ball handler. But at the same time, I thought Donovan Mitchell was really good as a point guard. Yeah, it's it's hard to lay criticism on Donovan. And yeah, there was that one shot clock violation um, with or bringing it up the court. Eight second violation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, eight second. Um, but beyond that, I thought that he he did a really good job of finding players, uh, taking it to the rim and forcing the issue and making great shots. So I didn't feel like Donovan's play was like at the expense of other players for the Utah Jazz. Sometimes if you have somebody go off for 57 points, it's at the expense of other guys. And they just never get going because they always have to defer to him or he just never gives the ball up. Uh, when a guy does that on a team. But I didn't really feel that from Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz yesterday. I want to bounce to Boston really quick. We'll get back to the Jazz here in just a moment. Gordon Hayward being out for this series. Does Boston survive without Gordon Hayward? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Sure they do. I mean, he's averaging 18, 19, almost 20 points a game. Uh, it- he has kind of come back into his own. I think that uh, having Kyrie Irving out has helped Gordon Hayward as much as anybody else on that roster. Uh, I think he and Kemba Walker have have, uh, have been good, and it's really helped him kind of come into his own a little bit more, back to where he used to be or wanted to be. Um, and so he doesn't get talked about very much because of the play of Jason Tatum these days and even uh, Jalen Brown. But uh, it, yeah, it's going to be a, a loss for Boston, but they still have Tatum. They still have Brown. They still have Walker. Uh, they still have a great defender off the bench with Marcus Smart um, who can play starter minutes and maybe even gets involved more in the rotations as a starter. So uh, I think that they they are a well-balanced team and they have multiple guys that can take over. So it, it's... And I don't... I just don't think the 76ers really are that disciplined of a team to, to really threaten. Uh, did you hear Quinn Snyder yesterday on the technical foul that he got? Well, I guess Jordan Clarkson looked like he got fouled on a three. No call. Thank you, Scott Foster. Hello, how do you do? Quinn Snyder is just screaming at the ref after that. And you could hear some of what he was saying because, again, there's no fans and it's pretty quiet. Uh, I love, uh, according to Chris Mannix, uh, Sports Illustrated, he said, he told the ref, he got fouled twice on the three. He got fouled. I haven't heard him say bleep to a ref all year. Then another ref, promptly, right after that, T. Snyder up. Snyder turns around and says, what did I say? The thing about the Utah Jazz is that they missed the fire. You got a point guard who is uh, way too nice, right? He is way too nice. He hasn't got a T in his NBA career for whatever reason. And, <laughs> right. he, and he says it's because his kids watched the game. 
and he doesn't want his kids to see him act in a certain way. Kudos to him. No, no, not kudos to you. You're in the NBA. <laughs> Which, Why don't you well, be a competitor? You don't for have. Once? Well, I guess to some degree, yeah. I would. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to to swear up a storm like a sailor, you know, to uh, no to you get don't. your point across to get a technical foul. But I do agree that uh, with you that it's okay to be a little nasty, to be tough, to not take it from somebody else, to stand back up and uh, get in their face a little bit, uh, just to to stand up for yourself, stand up for your teammates. But I think you bring up a good point here that. That the who is that enforcer for Utah? They don't have one anymore. Jay Crowder used to be that guy. Trevor Booker used to be the guy before that. Yeah. Grayson Allen as a rookie was actually sort of that guy. He was not scared. You know, mix it up a little bit. The thing is, is they don't have that anymore. So Mike Conley getting a technical, if they're down 12, 13 in, the, in game three, and Mike Conley's playing. And Mike Conley feels like he, if even if he didn't even get fouled, and he complains about it and gets a tech, that would set that team on fire in a good way. Light oh. a fire him underneath him. And you know, say, that, you know what? Let's that team go. would go bonkers if he got teed oh, up. It, it would it would be trending on Twitter for a good reason, and in a good way. I want to see Mike Conley be a man. I want him to see him to find his Ritz crackers and say, you know what? I'm going to get a technical. I'm going to be a competitor. Quit playing Mr. Nice Guy. They get you nowhere in the NBA. That's what makes him so overrated. He's too nice. Mike Conley was not that great in Memphis. He was too nice. That's why Memphis never got anywhere. Well, the the benefit here is that he is not the alpha in Utah. You don't have to be. And so the, well, the difference is in Memphis, he was the main guy. And so... Uh, they played tough, hard-nosed defense, and they were known as the grindhouse for a reason. But he's not the stir, the, the the straw that stirs the drink. To steal a common phrase from our good friend John Russell. So I think that's you know Donovan is that guy. Rudy Gobert is that guy. Rudy Gobert is the the closest to the enforcer that the Jazz have. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. Uh. W- I know everyone's looking towards Game 3 because Mike Conley could be available. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to tomorrow's game. Game 2, 2 o'clock Mountain Time. Our show will start late. Uh, it'll be between 4.30 and 5 o'clock when we start our show. We'll keep you up to date as we find out. If this game goes into overtime, we're starting after 5. So just brace for it. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Eric, Game 2 with the Nuggets and Jazz. What do you want to see out of Utah uh, that would maybe help them get over the hump of beating Denver for the first time this season. And I'm going to put this caveat into it. Besides good bench play. Well, I think that uh, defending the three a little bit better, I think that surprised Utah with how many shots they got off and how many they made. Uh, Jamal Murray was really held in check for most of the game until about halfway through the fourth quarter and then overtime, and that's where he really hurt the Jazz. Uh, it was just a back and forth. Um, you're going to make a shot. I'm going to do a step back three. You're going to make a shot. I'm going to step back and st- stick another one in your eye. Um, and so they have to, if they develop a lead, they have to find, uh, they have to hold on to it. And that defense was kind of lacking. And frankly, it's been lacking yeah. in the bubble yeah. period. But they've got to find that tough, 
a hard-nosed defense, taking away passing lanes, uh, and make make Denver really work for anything they get. Who's a bigger threat right now, Murray or Jokic? I think Murray. Me too. I, I think and Gobert. I don't think it's close. Uh, I think Gobert does a pretty fine job on on Jokic. He's still a really good player and tough to to handle, but I think Murray can hurt the Jazz in many different ways, in in more ways, just because of uh, if they can um, isolate him, slow him down a little bit. It's all on Jokic. It's all on Jokic. Yeah, Murray right now, Eric, in the these games so far, including regular season, Murray's averaging 22 points a game. No, excuse me, 23 a game versus the Utah Jazz. <laughs> like, I mean, and, and the thing is, is that the Jazz did contest a couple of shots, uh, I think, late in the fourth quarter. And, I mean, Murray just was feeling it. Like, there's just sometimes where yeah. the bas- basketball hoop looks like an ocean. That was a time when it was, especially in overtime for Jamal Murray. I still think if they quit going underneath screens, go over the screen and contest the shot, at some point he'll miss one. It only takes him to miss one. But we just kept going under. Joe would go under. Donovan would go under. I mean, it was just over and over again. Later in the game, they got better with that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, a little bit better. But I, th- I feel like they were still slow getting out of the screen. That they weren't able to get through the door quick enough on a Jokic screen, and then Murray would have a chance to step back and hit one. Uh, offensively, out of the Jazz, you would want to see what? Offensively? Yeah. Um, I, I need, I need a, a, a good third scorer, and a fourth that's going to be in double digits, and have a good game. Uh, Rudy and uh, and Donovan play well. They bring it every game. Who else is going to bring it and have a good game? Who else is going to have 15 to 20 points for the Jazz? Jordan Clarkson is a nice spark off the bench, but who else can do that? Uh, Joe Ingles? Uh, Royce O'Neal? Ingles had a pretty good game one. O'Neal just, I know he does a lot defensively for the Jazz, but they need more offense from him. They need something from George Yang. So, uh, and... Are they going to have a different player? Uh, Mie One, is he going to do anything? Or Ray John Tucker? Are they going to try to get somebody else involved in, in maybe in non-critical minutes, but solid minutes, solid opportunities, so that if they have another injury or somebody has to leave, that it's not a shock to the system? Uh, turnovers are going to be a big thing. You can't, I mean, they had four straight turnovers in overtime where they didn't shoot the ball. That was at the start of overtime, by the way. Can't turn over the ball in, in critical moments. I know that sounds obvious, but it's been a big problem for the Utah Jazz as of late. Uh, I would try to find a way to cut down the turnovers, have quality possessions. And I, I, and I don't get one of the possessions, I think, late in the game in the fourth quarter. It was Donovan Mitchell with the ball, uh, a soft dribble to the right, and then finding Royce O'Neal on the left wing to shoot a three where he missed it. If you're Donovan Mitchell, you're taking every single shot. You're either clearing out space to get a one-on-one or you're calling for a screen to get a switch and then a one-on-one and you're going to the hole and you're drawing the foul. Every time he went to the hole, he was getting foul calls. Don't stop that. Don't all of a sudden turn and say, hey, Royce, guess what? Let's get you a look. Royce is a crappy offensive player. So is almost everybody else on that team. You've got to be the scorer. You've got to be aggressive and not lean on someone else. Just coming into the game in that kind of a moment 
and expect him to be productive. Well, those times that Donovan does have to pass out, uh, if he's going into uh, you know, driving to the hoop and it's clogged and there's nowhere to go, if he does pass the ball out, whomever gets that ball has to score. That's a good point. No question. They have to score. They may not get as many touches and as many looks as, as you would in a normal game, but when they have, have the chance, man, they got to take advantage of it. It's got to go through the hoop. Eric, prediction for game two for Denver and Utah? Uh, I think it'll be Denver. I don't think it'll be as close. Wow. Double digits? No, I'm thinking more like eight or nine. Uh, I have Utah. I have them by five. I think Utah comes, like, honestly, it sounds stupid, but Donovan Mitchell has that Michael Jordan mentality where he'll look for anything to get you motivated. Not only did he score 57, but his team lost. I think he's pissed about it. And then he sees that stupid tweet from Denver, and he says, let's go. Let's play. And I think he's going to get some more guys involved. I think some other guys are going to get ready to, you know, be ready to play. Uh, I like I like Utah's chances. I think we split the the first two and we get ready for game three with hopefully Mike Conley. And from there, with Mike Conley on the court, anything is possible. I just worry that in a, in a series where it, it's hard to say you know, Denver is the better team. They do have the better record. But when you're in a playoff series and the higher seed, or when you're, excuse me, when you're the lower seed going into this, I always feel like your best shot of getting uh, an uh, an upset, if you will, switching the balance to uh, to home court going your way is in game one. I think your best shot at getting an upset is in game one. And in game two, uh, the higher seed usually makes the better adjustments and they they play better and they take care of business in game two. I think it's harder to get a win in game two if you're a lower seed. Mm, interesting. Again, 2 o'clock tomorrow, Mountain Time. Jazz Nuggets. That game will be on ESPN. Uh, and our show for will, television. Yep, it will be, It'll be here on the fan for radio. Yep, absolutely. You can hear David. In fact, you know what you do is you turn off the television so you don't have to listen to Doris Burke use really dramatic <laughs> terms to describe an open layup in a tie game in the second quarter. Uh, turn on, turn on the TV, mute it, and then listen to David Locke and Ron Boone on this very station. The game will be on ESPN two o'clock. Uh, Jazz and Nuggets. Again, our show will start late. We do not know how late. But we'll keep you updated. That might affect our interview, by the way, that we just lined up. Oh, shoot. Well, we could pre-record it. We can record his interview. Yes. And we can play it back as soon as we the game goes final. We'll do some producing right here yes. at the break. <laughs> we will still make it happen. <laughs> Eric, so we don't have to miss our appointment. Eric France and Audrey Salas is the Full Court Press. Coming up next, who is headed to New York from the Jazz staff and who could be headed with him in the future? Coming up on the Full Court Press, 106 on the fan. The Aggies, the Jazz, the High Schools, the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 1069 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Full Court Press, Eric France and Aljay Salf here on 106 on FM and 1390 AM, The Fan. Closing up, hour number two on a Tuesday evening. Hope your uh, Tuesday has been good. We'll get you f- Ooh. We'll get you ready for midway through the week uh, show on Wednesday. We'll recap the Denver Nuggets Utah Jazz game. You'll hear from Travis Cox, head football coach from Ridgeline. You'll uh, we'll get you all the goods going on. All the goods. All the goods. What was that look for? I was just wearing watching a weird video. Oh. Rex Chapman. 
He's always got the best stuff. Dude, Rex is so good. He's great. So who's leaving the Utah Jazz? Okay, so this is going to make you sick because it made me sick too, actually. Uh, so I already know Walt Perrin has left. He's going to the New York Knicks. Well, you can go ahead and add on Utah Jazz assistant and development player Johnny or player development coach Johnny Bryant. Oh, that hurts. He is headed to New York to go be the associate head coach under Tom Thibodeau. That is a huge get for Tom. That is a huge loss for uh, the Utah Jazz. Johnny is what helped develop Gordon Hayward. He helped develop Donovan Mitchell. Uh, He's worked with uh, Royce O'Neal. He has done so much good work. And he is now headed to the New York Knicks. Eric. And a lot of guys gravitate to him when they go to the bench. You know, he's he's up. He's interacting with them. Um, he's one of the first guys that those players are talking to. Now, Eric, comes the question. When Donovan Mitchell becomes a free agent, or if he decides to go ahead and opt out of his qualifying offer, which I believe is in a year, no, two years, does he leave the Jazz and go to the Knicks? Uh, it's so hard to speculate what could happen in two years. Uh, I would. I is Johnny doubt- Bryant enough of a persuasion to say, you know what? I'd love to go to New York in a big market play with for a guy like Johnny Bryant. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is having Johnny Bryant on the staff is one thing. Having Tom Thibodeau as a head coach is another. <laughs> That's a good point. And maybe in two years, the, the, the Jazz organization, they're right there in the hunt in the Western Conference. Um, so I know that he has ties to New York. That's where he grew up. His dad was part of the New York Mets. Um, but, uh, and I'd, I'd hope that the Jazz could find a way to keep him. Uh, a, a year ago, I would have said, there's no way Donovan is leaving Utah. He's been a, a, a model citizen. He says all the right things. He could run for mayor and he'd win in a, or governor and he'd win in a landslide. But just there have been a few things over the last year that have created a little more pause there. The, the fan incident with Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, the way people have reacted to him over social media, social media and, and posts that he has made about Black Lives Matter and things like that, which are really distasteful and disappointing. But he did recognize that it's not just happening in Utah. It's happening everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. But again, don't go play for the Knicks in the New York City market. That's it's not a bad... It just it, it sounds attractive for a guy like Donovan, I feel like. That's what scares me the most. Again, Johnny Bryant, the uh, player development coach for the Utah Jazz, a big reason uh, for Gordon Hayward's development, a humongous reason for Donovan Mitchell's improvement, uh, is headed to the New York Knicks. He's going to stay for the rest of the playoffs, and then he'll head out to New York to go be the associate head coach underneath Tom Thibodeau uh, in New York. That's that's a big loss. Again, that's a big loss for the Utah Jazz. Um, I, I, I have a couple ideas who... Quinn will promote uh, to be the new uh, or a new bench coach over there, um, but I'm not exactly sure who. Speaking of, go ahead. I'll just say uh, some news about uh, Mike Conley. Oh, uh, Eric Walden, who reports for the Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, reporting that uh, the NBA has completed its review of Mike Conley. You know, they have to find out where did you go, who were you in contact with, mm-hmm. things like this. Uh, they have determined that his quarantine will be for four days. So, so it that quarantine will end sometime Friday. Sometime Friday. But his availability for Game 3 will depend upon when the result of his final COVID-19 test oh, becomes available. 
Okay, so this has got to be better by the NBA. This is a crappy job by the NBA. He got there Monday night. I thought he arrived Tuesday morning. I thought it was Monday night, according to Woj. He got there Monday night. What are you looking at? I just I thought I saw it Tuesday morning, but I didn't. They were looking to confirm. Well, let me so. make sure. I mean, because if he got there, Eric, Monday night, and we are waiting for results. Now, Adrian Wojnarowski earlier this morning saying that uh, that he arrived Monday evening. So if he got there Monday evening, and oh, we gotta take a break. If we got if he got there Monday evening and we have to wait till Friday, that's not good. Well, if they play Friday afternoon, there it's highly likely that he will not be cleared until later yeah. that evening. Yeah, that's the problem. If he got there Monday evening, why do you have to wait so long? Holy crap, does it really take that long? Well, if he went straight from Orlando to Columbus, Ohio, straight to the hospital, didn't have contact with any other people, he's in a hospital, he had to be cleared to go into a hospital, and he knows he has to be careful to get back to the NBA, uh, you, you think you wouldn't need four days to isolate, but still, it's those questions about who else you come in contact with and the points in between. That sucks. All right, let's take a break. Coming back, we'll wrap it up here on the Full Court Press. Talking the sports you care about. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Full Court Press, Eric France and Ajay Salveson. Hey, Fernando Tatis. Padres are winning by a lot. Seven runs or 10-3, I believe. 3-0 count. Eighth inning. Eighth inning. Tatis takes a 3-0 pitch and slices it to right field for a grand slam. A 3-0 pitch. Here are two things really quickly. One, don't get the 3-0 count if you don't want him to hit the 3-0 pitch. Two, don't throw it where you can hit it out of the park. It's not that hard. If, if you can't do either of those two things, one, you shouldn't be on a baseball team, and two, shut the frick up. Uh, uh, I love these tweets from uh, people in baseball and connected with baseball. Will Middlebrooks. Uh, well, now Tatis Jr. has apologized more than any Astros player has. Baseball can be a little ridiculous at times. Keep playing your game, big guy. Players like you are not only the future, but the now. Love your game. Well, I love it. Keep swinging, man. I love your game. Make it fun. 